Coming up, it's philosophy talk. Darwin took us forward to a hilltop from where we could look back and see the way from which we came. But for this insight and for this knowledge, we must abandon our faith. Does faith obscure reason? We must not abandon faith. Faith is the most important thing. Does reason obscure faith? Why do you deny the one faculty of man that raises him above the other creatures of the earth? The power of his brain to reason. Yes, I gotta have faith. Do faith and reason inevitably conflict? Our guest is Nancy Murphy from the Fuller Theological Seminary. Faith, reason, and science. Coming up on Philosophy Talk after the news. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Uh, except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the studios of KALW in San Francisco. Continuing conversations that began at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus. Our topic today is a trinity, faith, reason, and science. Faith on the one hand, science on the other, reason charged with making up its mind between them, I guess. Science and religion have been in conflict over the centuries, Ken, but should they have been? Is conflict inevitable? Or is it inevitably based on misunderstanding? We'll tackle that question in three parts. First, we'll look at some moments of conflict between faith and science over the ages. Then we'll ask whether such conflicts are to be expected or whether there can be a reconciliation between faith and science. Finally, we'll consider what it all means for us in uh, modern life and modern culture. John, we seem to be living in an age of conflict between science and religion. I mean, some religious organizations are fighting the way history and biology are taught in the public schools, while some prominent thinkers, scientists like Richard Dawkins or philosophers like uh, Daniel Dennett, are writing scathing books against religion. I mean, Dawkins says that if you bring give a kid a religious upbringing, that's a form of child abuse. Now. Given that science and religion give us conflicting theories of, of the similar phenomena, history or biology, isn't this sort of conflict inevitable and predictable? Well, Ken, I, I'm not so sure that it is. Uh, there's two sides. Some historians maintain that in the Middle Ages, if it weren't for the notion of God as a rational, all-powerful being that designed this whole place with mathematics and things like that, without those ideas, there never would have been modern science. Science owes its faith in an intelligible universe to religion. Kepler, Descartes, Newton, all those guys, even Galileo, seemed to be motivated in part by the idea that in doing science, they were understanding God. Yeah, reason seek, faith-seeking understanding. But, you know, Galileo was the guy that the Pope put under house arrest for refusing to say that the... You know, Earth is still, he said, uh, Copernicus got it right. The Earth goes around the sun. The, the, the Christianity didn't like that idea. Well, there was definitely a conflict there. But what was it between? Was it really between science and religion? Or was it between the Pope's sort of backward interpretation of religion and Galileo's more flexible interpretation? Well, I mean, if you were religious uh, in those <clears throat> days, especially, you could, you could be sympathetic with the Pope's understanding, even if you thought maybe the Pope went too far. I mean, the Bible makes it sound like the Earth is the center of things and that the sun moves across the sky and the stars move. There's nothing about the Earth rotating on its axis or orbiting about the sun, not in my Old Testament, at least, the Pope thought that what Galileo said contradicted the revealed word of God as laid down in the Old Testament. And looking at it superficially, the Pope was right. 
Well, yeah, but let's not look at it superficially. <laughs> I mean, there's lots of religious Christians uh, and Jews uh, and Muslims that take a less than literal interpretation of the Bible, particularly of the Old Testament, and the same with other religions in their ancient holy texts. I mean, the Old Testament is old, right? It was written for people who would have just been confused if you trotted out uh, uh, Newton's Laws of Motion or the Copernican Theory. So, of course, it was written in terms that they could understand. So I, I don't think Galileo's example shows any inevitable conflict between science and a properly flexible religious perspective. Well, you know, okay, takes, uh, let's move ahead a few centuries and take the theory of evolution. I mean, by now, the vast majority majority of scientists think that the theory of evolution is fundamental to biology as as fundamental as you know the earth moving and rotating is is to astronomy nothing makes sense without it but there are lots of religious people who say oh my god how could this be it's so threatening well it it does seem to be harder for religion to absorb evolution that is at least for christianity to absorb evolution than it was to for it to absorb newton's physics or galileo's astronomy after all Evolution seems to have direct consequences for what it means to be human. The idea that we're all descended from monkeys, or I guess uh, we have a common ancestor more accurately, has been a hard one for Christianity to follow, swallow ever since Darwin came up with it. It certainly doesn't fit with the sequence of events in the creation story as outlined in the Old Testament, and it doesn't fit with the idea that humans, unique among animals, have immortal souls. Still, it doesn't contradict the idea that humans have souls or that there's a God that could have, you know, intervened in the process of evolution to give them souls. And there are, are forms of religion, uh, even forms of Christianity, Ken, that don't insist on immortal, immaterial souls. You know, in some ways it was easier, I think, for Kepler, Newton, and Galileo to uh, reconcile faith and religion because religion, uh, science and religion, because religion was suffused the whole air that they breathe. And science was kind of a new kid on the block. These days, these more secular times, I, I think it's a bit harder. But, you know, there are scientists who have made incredible discoveries, first-ranked scientists, who still maintain a deep and abiding faith. And our roving philosophical reporter, Polly Stryker, talked with one of the most eminent of these. She files this report. Charles Townes won the Nobel Prize in 1964 for inventing the laser and its precursor, the maser. But he also won the Templeton Prize for his thinking on the compatibility of religion and science. The two prizes reflect the man. The UC Berkeley physics professor believes in God. Well, people, particularly in the past, have uh, thought they found conflicts between science and religion. Uh, that's never troubled me. I have never seen there's any strong conflicts between the two. Science is an attempt to understand how our universe works. Religion is an attempt to understand the purpose and the meaning of the universe, including human life. Well, now, if there's a purpose and a meaning, that must have something to do with how it works, and vice versa. So the two can uh, add to each other. Wait a minute. What about godless Richard Dawkins? Doesn't he embody the modern scientist? I would say Dawkins is a kind of a fundamentalist scientist. Just the way fundamentalist religious people think they know exactly what's right and nothing else is right. <laughs> and uh, I would say we must be open-minded. And most scientists are. And they believe, yes, uh, you know, there may be a, a spiritual world. Could it be that some parts of physics, like all those dimensions we read about, might involve a bit of a leap of faith? Science is based on faith. People in science don't often recognize that clearly, but clearly it's based on faith. We make certain assumptions. You can never prove that your assumptions are correct. It's a matter of faith. 
And so science and religion both involve faith. In some cases, we have just fantastic faith about imagining what, what science may be telling us. Still, it's not easy for everyone to reconcile science and religion. Take the Big Bang, for example. Well, you know, the Big Bang, in a way, was uh, upsetting to scientists. Many scientists thought the universe has to always be here. They couldn't have been a beginning, whereas religion says, yes, there was a beginning. It was created. Well, now science has shown that there was a beginning. That's, again, a way that science is shedding some light on religion. Yes, there was a beginning of this universe. How and why did it start? We don't know. Towns says there isn't an inherent conflict between science and religion, even if the scientific world tries to prove or disprove the existence of God. I think it's quite okay to try to uh, understand and prove or disprove, see what evidence there is for the existence of a spiritual being. I think that's uh, very appropriate for us to try to understand as well as we can, just as we try to understand science. Now, again, let me say, we never prove anything completely. We never disprove anything completely. At 92 years of age, Towns is still trying to find answers to the mysteries of the universe. Well, I'm doing astrophysics now. And I find the stars, some stars change in size. They swell up and decrease in size about 30% in a year's time. Isn't it irrational to believe in both astrophysics and in God? No, I, think, I don't think it's irrational to believe in the God, just because it's not irrational to believe in science. I spoke to Towns on a Monday. Did he go to church the day before? No, I didn't go to church. I took a hike out in the woods and saw a lot of the wonderful universe that <laughs> means a lot to me religiously. From the intersection of faith and science, I'm Polly Stryker. Want to hear more? You can find the complete episode on iTunes Music, or for unlimited listening, become a subscriber at philosophytalk.org.